Okay, today we are here with an anonymous guest known as the Diabetic Orca. Um, if you know, you know. He has done over a hundred investment properties through his investing career over 20 years of expertise. Um, he's going to be talking to us a little bit about more so the emotional side of the workspace and how to keep a clear mind through all of the drama and complications that come within. Um, so it should be a really fulfilling episode and I hope you guys will take something away from it. So, hello diabetic worker, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing good. So let's start from the beginning. How did you get started in the world of investing and business? Sure, so when I was 16, uh, my father gave me control of a trading account at a now forgotten brokerage house called Brink Hudson Lefebvre in Vancouver. It was later absorbed by Canaccord, which is now Canaccord Trinity Financial. It was mm, a bit of a, a misnomer, an outlier. People back in the day, all the brokerage houses talked shit about it. And really, they were jealous of uh, Canaccord's ability to be nimble and agile and flexible in times when large institutions that were connected to big banks simply couldn't make the moves that uh, Canaccord could and as a result it grew and succeeded and now is a, a very established and uh, frontline player in the Canadian financial industry. However, that was my first experience with uh, securities trading. Uh, primarily it was small cap stocks that traded on what was then known as the Vancouver Stock Exchange and the Alberta Stock Exchange which later merged to become the Canadian Venture Exchange, which is now known as the TSX-V or TSX Venture Exchange. So a lot of junior mining companies, oil and gas, and a lot of shifty fly-by-night mining promoters who simply took over a shell, which is a publicly traded company that has no operating business and uh, pumped the stock up to a price that allows them to cash out and buy their next Mercedes or yacht or settle with their ex-wife or whatever. <laughs> It's, it's just the culture of Vancouver is kind of sadly what, what I really um, would classify it as. Now, when, <clears throat> when I was in uh, second year university, a friend was driving me to the ferries in Victoria. She crashed the car. I got an ICBC settlement for $25,000. This was right before the dot-com market exploded in the capital markets. I took that $25,000. Turned it into 2.1 million, not because I was smart, not because I was a genius, not because I was gifted, but I was just damn ass lucky and had a mentor who was and remains unparalleled in knowledge of markets and timing. And his name is Nick Magendi, and he now has a, uh, a portfolio management division. Uh, last I checked was his social wealth in Vancouver, but he could have moved on by now. And uh, so I was sitting on a big chunk of dough and I was. 21 and I thought that I had all the answers and I was just genius <laughs> and everyone can go fuck themselves. I can relate. <laughs> and uh, very shortly thereafter, the uh, you know the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and the markets corrected in a, in a way that was the tsunami of uh, chaos and confusion for me. Um, and I lost, uh, I'd say 90% of the value of the portfolio. Wow. And then the gains I did have from my original Canada Revenue Agency came down and was like, hey, we'll take that. Thanks. Because at the time, capital gains in Canada were 75% of your profits times your highest marginal rate. 
So I owed them a hundred grand and I walked away from the whole experience with a hundred grand, which with 21 is nothing to sneeze at, but I it mean, you started with 25. <laughs> right. It wasn't the 2.1 yeah. that I was, my ego had told me was yeah. you're such a hot shit. Like everyone else is fucking stupid. So my ego was telling me all the things that, uh, it wanted to be real, but my super ego and my id, you know, were sort of at, at, at uh, you know, uh, contretemps, which would be the French term, meaning they were, they were confrontational with each other. They weren't in line. And uh, the following year, I was in diagnosis bipolar, which is now not so much a stigma. Back in the day, everyone was like, oh, you know, I, I hope you're okay. I heard you were sick in the <laughs> hospital. No, like, look, am I, uh, you know, dying of cancer? No, I have a biochemistry, <laughs> um, you know, pH balance leveling out. Thing to, to correct, but everyone has. Something. But everyone coming at me and being like, "Oh, like you're the crazy one," like you know, well, he's he's crazy, he's bipolar, and really, quite frankly, the best quote I've ever heard about bipolar and labels and this and that is that labels are for jars, and I'm not a jar of peanut butter, and I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, would I be chunky peanut butter? Probably. But I wouldn't be some low grade derivative like Skippy. <laughs> it's got more sugar in it than the mango margaritas we had last night. That were just repulsive. But yeah, so early success coupled with bipolar and having a lot more energy than the average orca in the pod, eventually I was more or less abandoned by my peer group because I was different. I wasn't in, in line with what they were doing. I was pushing the envelope and I was doing bigger things. And I would talk about what I was doing, and most people would be, oh, he's full of shit, because there's no way someone our age would be doing that stuff. So then I faced another battle, trying to prove myself, and that actually cost me a lot of, you know, acrimony and emotional trauma and psychological trauma, and sooner than later, by like, let's say 2006, the people that I was attracting were people that wanted to use me for what I had and to gain benefit for themselves, because I was so desperate to get that like admiration, acceptance, and approval that I would do almost anything to get it regardless of where it was coming from. And so a lot of the people that I was attracting were seeing that I had a nice car and I had a nice place and I had nice clothes and I go on trips and I've always got money. And so they wanted that. And, and largely the people that that attracted were uh, uh, narcissists. Now I would say that I have narcissistic tendencies, but I'm not a full blown narcissist because once in a while I, I do kind of care about someone else's like last night when you know, we have the, 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 the junior orca in the pod. Uh, we'll refer to him for today's purposes as Orca P. And Orca P was like, you know, told us when we were on tour looking at some condos here that I'm like, oh, I'm at the hotel and I'm drunk. And, and then his phone died. And so then I, in a blinding rage, as orcas are capable of when they feel threatened or like, you know, I uh, went to the hotel and tried to get it sorted, and they were so rude, yeah. and they were so uh, unprofessional. And I might add, for the purpose of this podcast, that was hotel arts and calorie <laughs> okay. people, and they checked, us, they checked us into a room that had someone else's shit in the toilet when we arrived, and the toilet didn't flush. There was no apology. There was no, oh my God, this is a mortifying experience. Let's just move you to another room, and oh, by the way, um, we need you to come by the front desk when you're back at the property. We need to take a credit card imprint to let in the room. And I'm like, okay, can I just give Orca you a... Orca pee. Anyways, the point is that we were, you know, doing our tour. I'd like, stop it, go to the hotel. And then the hotel was like, 
Yep, sorry. Point is, the customer service this hotel and the way they treated me and Orca P was equivalent to like, that we were like undesirables. And I'm like, I met with your director of sales earlier this day touring the property because I was going to bring a group booking. And you don't seem to understand that this experience is going to make me be like, yeah, no, fuck no, I'm not coming here. Circling back to why we were on tour, we were looking at buying investment condos here in Calgary. Now, there's something called a cap rate. And cap rate refers to the, in my mind, the net yield you would receive on an investment um, cash on cash return. Calgary right now has some very attractive rental rates. Um, <clears throat> it has some newer construction that's all ironically becoming rental because some larger institutional landlords are like, shit, I think we missed the boat here. We shouldn't be building and selling and making a 15% margin as a developer. We should own that shit, amortize it over 25 years, and collect that cash. Get that appreciation. Yeah, in the words of, um, you know, ODB, uh, Old Dirty Bastard, may he, he RIP, um, it was like, hey, today, baby, I got your money, you know, or yeah. shall we quote Biggie Smalls? And that, you know, <clears throat> Super, Super Nintendo, rather, and Sega Genesis, when he was dead broke, he couldn't picture that. But, you know, now his face is up in the source. Mom's smiling, you know, like life is good. And people considered him a fool because he dropped out of school. <laughs> school but he's yeah. still doing fucking interviews by the pool, and they're not. Yeah. So, to quote Meredith Marks from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, jealousy of disease, to which I say, get well soon. Yeah, there we go. So, circling back on investing, because I'm <laughs> capable of keeping my head on a, on a single focus. I, after that colossal loss with the capital markets... Bought my first house in Victoria, where I was going to school. My father co-signed the note on the mortgage, because I, as a student, I had no income. I'm like, who am I? Mm -hmm. Once I did my first real estate deal, and I understood, like, I'm positive cash flowing. What the fuck is this? Why is anyone figured real estate missing it now? Later on, when I had some mentors and I had more properties, I realized that real estate is the key to wealth generation and, inter -wealth, and intergenerational wealth, period. In the way that Gen Zers say, period, it's like emphasize. Yeah. This gentleman who we'll call Orca J, and Orca J and I then, by the time we left Victoria, had eight properties, worth three point one million, and our acquisition cost was a little over two point two. Now we didn't know what we didn't know at the time, and had to pay capital gains on that. So then CRA came and be like, hey, thanks, we'll take our cut. Thanks for being good. Good looking out. <laughs> and they fucked off back to Ottawa. And then I had that money, and then Vancouver's market at the time, and the pre-construction boom, Yelltown in 05, you could buy pre-construction condos, put down 50K, and then right before closing, flip that assignment for a $100,000 assignment fee or assignment clause, which came with you pay me a fee and I assign my contract to you. And uh, that was very lucrative and profitable till about 2007. And then 2007, I uh, fortuitously met um, a guy by the name of uh, GW, who was the director of risk management for a private hedge fund based in Utah that was institutionally partnered with Cargill Value Investments <clears throat> out of, um, well, the Minneapolis, Minnesota region. And um, so they had more money than God. They had a $500 million a year checkbook with which they lent money uh, to developers who were taking land from being, say, farmland to being zoned for like, like 
commercial building. Well, like, uh, like Chester near used to be a fucking dump. And then a developer's like, hey, I'll create the villages at Chestermere, this whole bougie sort of affectation of upper middle class them that, you know, hubby works in the rigs but makes a good 180 and you were got a, the lake. And you and you were a dental hygienist and now you've got two kids and you've got a I don't know, GMC Denali, you know, you're trying to live that life, so you have to like Chestermere. <clears throat> Anyways, the point is that I had developed an appetite, knowledge. The knowledge was accrued by fucking up in every possible conceivable way. And then going, okay, I won't do that again. So if you do that enough times, say a couple dozen times, and you fucked up so many times, you're like, there's not much more I can fuck up. Like, I kind of maxed out my fuck-ability up. Or fucked-up-ability. Whatever, whatever we're going to call that. <laughs> like, whatever we're going to call that, it's like, you know, in economics terms, we'd call it the marginal propensity to fuck around. Mm -hmm. um, and for those of you studying economics out there, as we all know, the marginal propensity to consume or marginal utility per dollar spent means are we getting more enjoyment out of something the more we do it or are we bashing our head against the wall? Like Anthony Robbins says, insanity is the definition of doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. I don't particularly agree with Anthony Robbins in the whole awaken the giant within. I just say, be yourself, get your shit figured out, don't worry about what everyone else is doing and buckle down. And if you get, when you get angry, don't let that deter you and set you off in a path of self-destruction, just go to work. Yeah. Because the details will, will, everyone always says the details are what leads to success, wrong. The details will take care of themselves if you are focused enough in doing the right deals. Because if you don't know what you don't know, someone you may meet may know what you didn't know, and by meeting them and involving them, you will now know what you didn't know, therefore you're, you know, yeah. So if we go all the way back, how did you initially turn that 25K into 2.1 million? Like what? Um, it was largely because, uh, as I said, Nick Magendi. One summer, I was an intern at Canaccord, and uh, I had some money now from my CBC settlement. And I said, Nick, I want to learn about options trading. He's like, okay, well, um, here's what you need to learn. He gave me a book, which had been published probably 1965 by the University of Chicago Press. And it was all about derivatives trading and, and commodities and spot prices and puts and calls and all the, shall we call it the nomenclature that is part of that part of capital markets. And at the time, the University of Victoria and the computer labs, because you didn't have, you didn't, laptops were not a thing. Like, like they were a thing, but they, were, they, weighed, <laughs> they weighed like 17 pounds and had 45 minutes battery life and were the they they weighed like the, the yeah it was yeah a beast and um, anyways so if you want to check your email or do anything you have to go to the computer lab in a building called Cleary which still exists today and still has a computer lab today but very different and you would log into your account and then you would like select email there was the the email protocol software was uh, something called Eudora Lite. Uh, and Eudora Lite was a product developed and licensed by Qualcomm Technologies out of San Diego, California. Qualcomm at the time, because it was a tech stock, was trading at a bit of a discount to what it probably should have been trading at. And I optioned shares of that at, we'll call it Price X. I didn't know what I was doing, I just knew the company because of course I had used it for email. Mm -hmm. And I asked Nick to help me. And so we ended up, uh, we ended up putting in, successfully getting um, a, you know, a couple contracts, 
and these contracts were exercisable for a period of time um, that I had the right to buy the stock at a predetermined price called the strike price. And um, within those, you know, a period of time where I had the right to buy, the company rocketed in value from, let's say, a value of X to being worth uh, uh, 90X. Wow. So that's not 900%, that's 9,000%. Yeah. yeah. How many properties have you personally invested in Calgary? Just Calgary, actually, to be honest with you, not that many, uh, under five. So, yeah, the Calgary market, I, I, I'm here right now to look at some options because the valuation, the valuations and the math are what I go based off of, and the valuations and the math don't lie. Like, if someone's trying to sell me hard that their bathroom has Calicutta marble, if you know what that is, and mm-hmm. they're trying to sell you on that, oh, it's got sub-zero wealth, like, what do you fucking do? Um, like, when and if I build again, I'll build what I want. I don't need you to sell me what you think is best because your opinion may be different from mine. We all have different opinions in life on different things. It's just, you know. And um, anyways, so, you know, to bring it full circle, what I did want to touch on today especially was just the damage that we do to ourselves on a daily basis by being in the rat race and trying to compete. Um, We're constantly at risk of our egos um, and our fear of not being remembered, so our legacy driving our decisions from an almost primal emotional you know, uh, heart, rather than allowing the logical, rational side of our brain to go calculate, dick, 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 you know, two plus two plus four is eight divided by three is like whatever. But the point is, is that it's numbers, if numbers work, numbers work. Yeah. So let's say you borrow a million dollars from the bank at 4%, interest only. And you can go use that money to go buy a million dollars worth of real estate. Now let's say real estate in the next year will appreciate maybe one percent, maybe it'll 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 you know, maybe it won't. But if you can make it so your real estate investments are yielding on a leverage basis, because you know, let's say you put fifty percent down, if you're yielding sixteen percent on a leverage basis against debt that's at four percent, you're making a twelve percent, you know, uh, tax deferred, I might add yield, which is impossible. No other market, no other investment that I know of yields that. And when everyone is saying, oh, it's recession right now, just wait, just wait. No. By the time you've waited, the smart money will have already made their moves because they're not waiting for everyone to have an emotional fallout and whatever. It's like, while people are talking about the recession, that's when you should act. Yeah, you I agree. You shouldn't act when the Bank of Canada finally says, okay, go guess what? Turns out we were in a recession. Sorry, peeps, we'll do better next time. Like, no. Don't allow your decision-making, particularly in investments, to be run by someone else's math. Do your own math. Yeah. It's like we were told in elementary school, when they all the fucked-up versions of math for the first time, or high school, <clears throat> show your work. Right? Show your work was so that Biggest you, thing they advocate. <laughs> right. Show your work because that showed the teacher that you knew how to back up your answer. Yeah. And that's the key behind any investment strategy that makes money. Yeah. has long-term returns. Too many people are interested in the quick buck. All they care about is like, I want to make this much, I want to make 30 grand, so I'm going to buy um, a Louis Vuitton thing, and I'm going to go to Columbia for three months. And uh, I'm like, why are you dropping out of society for three months? Yeah. Do that when you're 40. 
Yeah. You're sitting on 12, 15, 20 million. Mm -hmm. Don't do it because you got 100 grand in the bank. 100 And you got at least, I don't know, what, I'm trying to think what the typical asshole realtor in downtown Vancouver drives. Like maybe a Tesla Model 3, maybe a BMW <laughs> X4. I don't know. It's, it's constantly evolving. Once upon a time, there was like, you know, your stereotypical asshole commercial broker in Vancouver. Let's call him Todd. <laughs> and Todd would show up at a bar during happy hour in Yaletown. And he'd be like, hey, girls. Sometimes I wear Ray-Bans. Do the hair thing. Do the hair. <laughs> and he'd say, sometimes I wear Ray-Bans and sometimes I don't. Sometimes and I wear like, see, see that M3 over there? Yeah, she's mine. <laughs> At which point, one of the smart girls who's being creeped on in the group says, well, I'm an accountant. So I'm just curious. Do you lease or did you buy? Baby, I always buy. And then she'd be like, you're a moron because you could have your own professional corporation because you're a real estate broker and you could write the lease off to the company. Mm-hmm. At which point, Todd, as we'll call him, is like, huh, for real. <laughs> and then you're like, that's not even an answer. Like, what the fuck? So what do you think, out of all of the properties you've invested in, was your biggest success story? Oh, I know this without a, not even a moment sensation. <clears throat> 2009, in the U.S., the banks were carrying a shit ton of inventory because people had defaulted on their mortgages, a lot of developers because uh, addressable rate mortgages and addressable rate financing um, basically made it so that people's debt financing tripled in the, in, a, like a, in the blink of an eye. And then all of a sudden projects weren't sustainable. So actually, the only reason I did this deal and knew about it was because a very wise Calgary investor named um, Barry, we'll call him, um, had been down in Vegas, like I'd had lunch with him um, at a restaurant that's no longer there, but it was in uh, Bow Valley Square. And um, it was like, I was down in Vegas, and I looked into buying you know, investment property down here, and I found that I could buy something for effectively 15 cents on the dollar, compared to what it had been worth a year ago. And I was like, yeah, you can't lose in that situation. That's the yeah. stuff. He's like, yep, you gotta pay cash, you can't get any financing, so you're buying it from the court, right? Or the uh, receiver. <clears throat> so I talked to friends, we put together, Chuck a dough, I went to Vegas, and we bought a 36 unit development, lock, stock, and barrel. And it cost us, on average, $18,000 a door. We held it for a year and a half. $18,000 a $18, door. $18,000 a door. That's it. That's it. Wow. And we waited for the market to come, come back, which it did, about a year and a half later, and then sold those for, on average, $60,000 a door. Holy. So that didn't suck. Because that's a, that's a... No, that's freaking awesome. Right, because it's a fairly <laughs> decent yield return on your money. And there's a thing in the U.S. called a 1031 exchange. So any capital gains you have from a real estate deal, you can then put that, roll that forward into your next deal. As long as you do that deal uh, within 30 days and completes within 45 days, it's called a 1031 exchange. And the IRS allows for, you know, uh, not us as Canadians, but we had an LLC was Nevada Incorporated. Shout out to Fenimore Craig, one of the best law firms in Nevada and Arizona. <clears throat> and uh, we had an LLC, so we rolled that money to the next deal, the next deal, the next deal, so we finally brought our money back up to Canada in 2012. Is that when you got the 3.1? No, the 3.1 was uh, a little later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 3.1, even in terms of the, the yield or... Mm -hmm. No, 3.1 um, was from a number of deals similar to that that, 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 that 
quite a few deals. And by the time we had cashed out four years later from that LLC structure, uh, we were in a, um, a very much uh, advantageous, um, a very advantageous position. What did your deals in Calgary turn out to be? So you said you've done five previous. In Calgary, yeah, I bought um, three. Uh, I bought three condos with partners, um, and uh, we bought those in a building called the Costello back in. Um, trying to think of what, I remember when that was precisely. That was the fall of two thousand nine. Um, and we um so was that pre-con then pre what pre-construction no it was built okay the developer was uh homburg something can't remember its actual full name and we went straight to their president made a deal and i mean myself and my partners we had three units but we in total bought 12 and then our group everyone bought like of the ones we bought mm -hmm. we then got allocated our particulars that we were desiring of and um, that was very profitable because we gave them a haircut of about 25% off, off, off what they were trying to sell them for but because we bought 10 in total yeah or it might have been 11 like, the number is fuzzy it's been a while um, we all made guaranteed profit nice and so then I started feeling that this could be another model which was create a buying pool and go bulk buy off a developer who's having some liquidity issues. What year did you say you bought in Costello? 2009? Oh, Stella? This, we're, talking about, we're talking about Costello. Yeah, that's what I said, no, Costello. You, you said Stella. Oh. Stella is <laughs> another bad. project and that was um, the, the, the gentleman at Qualex Landmark who are also stellar developers, great reputation, great product. Um, Hussein and his partner, they're really stellar guys. Um, but Costello was like the first project of this joint venture between a German pension fund, Hamburg, mm -hmm. and I can't think of the other name. It's like Centro or something. Long story short, made money there and then realized I should be doing this. I've got about a year here before the market comes back and people come back and banks chill out. And But for a year, I could probably grind this really hard. And now to close this out. I'm kind of like Ariana Grande. I'm a dangerous woman. Love that. So, for all you kids out there uh, listening and you know thinking about that person in your life who shits all over your dreams and tells you that you're never going to amount to anything, all I suggest is you do some listening to maybe a little Whitney Houston, and in particular the song "My Name Is Not Susan," <laughs> because that is a rally call for anyone who's been sort of subjected to, subrogated, or treated in a way that wasn't fair or just, now's your time to tell that person, your name ain't Susan, so watch what you say. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you for coming the, on. From the pod of the orcas. <laughs>